This is what we do with clients. We show them the strategy. We, we provide them the content, the podcast, the YouTube videos, the free eBooks, all of the content they need. We go through all their entire financial situation. We get to understand where they're at financially, where they want to go. We help them build out a strategy utilizing the infinite banking concept to help them uh, reach their goals. And then the client ends up saying, okay, I want to do this concept. They choose what they want to do. And that's what we, that's how we want to educate our clients. We never want to just push something and say, this is the best situation. Trust us. You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast, your resource for one of a kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. Regardless of what point you're at in your journey, now would be a good time to learn about infinite banking. My guest today, Suri Ibrahim, has dedicated the better part of his life to helping others in fields of health and law. He's now brought this mission to the e-commerce space, and we're a lot better off for it. What surprised me about this is the term infinite banking evokes images of a grandiose concept too far out of reach for many. But in actuality, it's well within anyone's grasp. And I mean anyone. You'll see why. Sari Ibrahim, it is good to have you here in Ecomonics. How are you doing today? How are you feeling? Hi, Joseph. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Yo, I'm, I'm starting to think maybe I should like not ask people how they're doing before we start the recording because i have to ask the question twice right it's like like next next guest comes on and be like hey nice to meet you like yeah okay just uh, get, get ready here we go switch on say hey, how's, how's it going how do you feeling all right well well I'm, I, it's, it's an ongoing testing process but um it's, it's great to have you on um a little quick behind the scenes it's also great because for the most part when i fire up recordings this is actually the first time that i get to meet people so some of that energy flows into it uh, you and i have had a uh, had a chance to call and just talk briefly about you know um what what value we can offer to each other i should have taken notes down i don't remember taking notes down when we had that call so a uh, little little lesson for me but let's get you endeared to our audience uh tell us what you do tell us what you're up to these days again thank you for having me on the show i really appreciate it um and it's a little bit about me i run a company called financial asset protection it's a financial services firm located in chicago illinois uh, we help and service clients in all 50 states. We help them with financial planning and financial services, financial counseling, um, and other other areas that, that would help them financially. And, and I've been doing this for about, about six years now. Uh, prior to this, I was in the Medicare space. So I was a Medicare consultant helping clients who were like retiring, specifically here in Chicago, who used to work for the city of Chicago, retired, and then now are merging onto their own employer plan. I'm sorry, their own their own individually owned employee plans from their employer plans. So that was my job for a few years, helping them make that transition and building a relationship with these clients. And then I merged from Medicare into financial services. I still do Medicare, but now I've kind of combined them together. My main focus right now is financial services. Um, I have about four employees now in Chicago and the company is growing. We're super excited about it. And I want to be on, and I specifically focus on one topic called the bank on yourself concept. And that's why I want to be on your show today to kind of share the story and uh, this concept, the bank on yourself concept and how it can help a lot of business owners and uh, full-time employees. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm certainly uh, part of that uh, target market as well is one of the, the, the great things about um, being the host of this content is that I have no excuse in the world not to also um, do run my own store, which I, I, I am, I haven't made any sales yet, but you know, it's one, one step at a time. 
and and I and I think I have the Guinness World Record for the human being with the least amount of excuses possible relative to the most amount of resources possible. So I personally want to hear about this too. Uh, if you don't mind, I do want to make a quick pit stop just on the on the on the Medicare section because I do think it's interesting. I've always you know being being here in Canada, I do think it's a it's a fascinating subject the United States healthcare because you have. A lot of challenges. It is a first world country. There is an expectation that healthcare also has to be up to that. But I, and I don't want to like start taking sides because I know there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of uh, blowback when people uh, discuss it. But transitioning people from from Medicare into their own em- employment plans, um, how did you land it into that particular spot? Yeah. So so before that, I was working at a company called Allstate Insurance. I was in uh, sales and risk mitigation, and then from there. Um, I wanted to kind of just have like a different, I, I came across an opportunity. So like this company, Blue Cross Blue Shield had an agreement with the city of Chicago during that time. And I was able to kind of jump on that deal with a few other advisors in Chicago. And that kind of really launched my career because the financial services part of my career came also from the Medicare part. So it was kind of like a chain cycle, it just went from one thing to another thing. Um, it, it was both predictable and unpredictable. Um, it was predictable in the sense of when you work hard and you just keep listening to people, you'll find the right things. And then unpredictable in the sense that I had no idea any of that was going to play out. Um, so it, it, of course, there's a lot of benefits to, to that happening um, from every side, from the Medicare side and to the financial services side. And you're right. Um, it's pretty interesting. I think in Canada, you, your system is is far greater than our system in the States, unfortunately. You know, um, in, in, in the States, only people who are 65 and older and people who have a disability can get on Medicare. So that limits like 55 million people out of 350 million people. The rest have to get insurance through their uh, workplace or Medicaid if they are low income or just they're uninsured, which was a huge huge problem prior to the Affordable Care Act passed in 2008. So a lot of people were actually in the category, most people were actually in the category of just uninsured and they would just sometimes pay some cash for healthcare if it was reasonable, or it would just be a, a curd debt and would lead to bankruptcy and other financial issues. But that's kind of the, the, the healthcare system in the United States for, for a really long time. Um, I wish that Medicare was definitely for, for, for everybody. You know, it's the same structure, how it's set up for people over the age of 65. It'd be nice if it was set up that way for, for everybody in the country. Well, I mean, it, it certainly um, uh, unravels a lot of threads, um, which I would love to have a conversation with you about that at a different point. But uh, it's it, it, like I said, it, it really is a fascinating subject. So uh, let's uh, let, let's bring this back to uh, banking on yourself, and we'll we'll we'll, we'll put it, we'll put the pin back in that grenade because I think that's how grenades work. So when I uh, he, he, hear the premise banking on uh, oneself, I mean, there is the literal idea of being a replacement for the institution, whereas now I'm investing money in myself. I'm my own financial asset i'm uh, and i think it, there's also the other side of it too is there's a more on a more personal level about how i would trust the bank as an institution to keep my money safe and to um grow the, grow the money uh, one thing i did learn by the way from a previous uh, guest matthew pilmore uh, is that just putting money in the bank alone even if it's a gic uh, oftentimes uh, it doesn't improve our financial state what it actually does is mitigate the loss because if i if i if i take all my money and i hide it under the bed that money doesn't participate in the inflation and so over time that money will actually uh, reduce in value so leaving it into a financial institution is the best hope of keeping it 
somewhat in, in pace with the amount of money that's being printed. Um, and of course, it's also the lowest risk. The higher risk, the better you have at keeping up and even surpassing it. So the, on the personal level, it's about investing in myself and having faith in my own long-term growth, um, which it certainly seems to take a, a little bit more of a, of a risk. But once we know what we know about banking, it's really there's risks no matter what we do. So uh, get us started with the foundations and how we can unravel this and, and have a, a clear understanding and a clear takeaway. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I appreciate you bringing up the foundation because it's kind of like, we want to mention like, why, why are we talking about all of this? You know, um, there, there's a, there's a, there's a reason. And, and you mentioned it beautifully that, that it's, there's a purpose for it and having money just sitting in a bank account um, or just sitting somewhere like not doing anything it will actually lose you money over time because of inflation. You need your money to grow um, and to outpace inflation. But also one problem that a lot of people have is it, it kind of once you once you once you come across that one problem solution where I want to have my money move somewhere that's going to outpace inflation, it then stretches into a few other problems like risk, taxes, liquidity and other risks. And to address each one, like for example, um, risk, um, to have your money sitting somewhere that's high risk could also be uh, dangerous because you could lose all of it. You could lose most of it. You don't know what the degree of loss could be depending on what that risk is and the time period that, that it takes place in. But there's also risk that can take place that could affect you. So then if the risk is so high that you lose your money, then you were better off not even investing it, which which uh, defeats the purpose of that investment. Now, uh, another problem could be liquidity. Let's say, for example, you have the ability to save your money somewhere and to have it grow at a reasonable rate, but you can't touch it for like 40 years. That also defeats the purpose of saving your money if you can't even use it for anything else. Um, and then, of course, taxes. Let's say, for example, you're growing your money. It's, it's in a reasonable place. It's li liquid as well, but you are taxed on every time you touch that money. That's also going to stretch into a new problem because the tax, the volume of paying taxes over and over again, especially in the US and Canada, uh, depending on what that type of investment vehicle could be, it could eat into your gains and profits. Again, bring it back to the first part of, did you even need to invest your money to begin with? So uh, part of the bank on yourself strategy, it's addressing, it's it's outpacing inflation while also addressing each of those sections or categories, the section of risk, uh, liquidity, taxes, and others. I mean, I was just thinking, you know, what I could do to totally like fill the re the, the remaining of the episode and 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 coast on your explanations, just go one by one and be like, so how do we deal with the risk? How do we deal with taxes? How do we deal with liquidity? Um, so I want to uh, take a, a holistic perspective on this at first, which is this can be very discouraging for entrepreneurs because it's all just becoming an entrepreneur incurs a great deal of risk. It's not the same thing as having a, a systemized workflow uh, where. You know, every day I know uh, how much work I'm going to be doing, and, and the money comes in, comes in, goes into the bank. It, 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 it's it's certainly a system set up to uh, help help some people um, uh, at the current point and, and down the line. So, in your experience, uh, how has this had a, a notable impact on people's ability to even want to become entrepreneurs in the first place? Does the entrepreneur typically understand uh, the, 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 the problems here and are factoring it into their strategy? Or have you encountered a lot of people who are like, oh no, this is completely throwing my business off. Now my, my, my margins are all over the place. Uh, and I actually wasn't prepared for all of this. So uh, I guess what in, 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 again, uh, to ask holistically is how much damage has this done? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah. So, so speaking of like the bank on yourself concept and being able to use that in your business, it actually helps improve your business significantly because of 
uh, what it could do um, as far as liquidity and, and having your money growing for you. So to kind of back up a little bit, um, I really want to talk about what the bank on yourself concept is uh, to kind of give more context. Um, I so don't want to hear it. Okay. The, the bank on yourself concept, it is, it's also known as the infinite banking concept, and it is the utilization of cash value whole life insurance for self-banking purposes. So there's, for the most part, there's two types of life insurance. There's a term life insurance policy, which is like a set period of time. Um, it's almost like you're renting the policy, its own life insurance. There's no cash value in it. That has its own function, its own benefits. And then the other one is cash value. It's permanent, permanent life insurance. It has cash value in it, specifically whole life insurance. And as you are funding the policy, a couple of things are happening. One is that you have life insurance in the policy, just like the title of it. And the second, second thing is you have cash value, like a savings account inside of the policy that's growing and earning interest and dividends. So the infinite banking concept or the bank on yourself concept, it is a utilization of cash value life insurance for self-banking purposes. And that means that you are essentially funding a policy so that way you, you can become your own source of financing. And because of the nature of whole life insurance, specifically designed a special way, it grants you uh, tax advantages, um, guaranteed growth, liquidity, um, guaranteed um, a, a lot of guarantees behind it, life insurance guarantees, the tax favors behind it. There's a lot of financial benefits other than the life insurance itself behind the cash value of it. So when I keep saying, you know, the bank on yourself concept, bank on yourself concept, I'm talking about the proper utilization of cash value life insurance. And it can be applied for business owners, real estate investors, full-time employees, pretty much anybody who makes and spends money, which is essentially almost everybody on this earth. Um, it, it's mostly narrowed down to people in the U.S. and in Canada. Um, it, it could sometimes work in different countries, but for the most part, it's in U.S. and Canada. And it helps people take back control of their financial life. Okay, so between the um, the prior conversations that we had on the phone that I alluded to, me listening to an episode of the, you being a guest on a different show and my own uh, preparation, hearing you explain it to now is actually the first time that it's really starting to click in my mind, not just the effectiveness of this, but also um, curiously, the specificity of it. Um, just because w when we're describing uh, life insurance, it's one policy out of numerous policies, you know, car insurance, you get uh, uh, health insurance, which we also alluded to, uh, ho home insurance, fire insurance. I, I was trying to think of, uh, <laughs> I was just trying to think of one as a joke, like if I could I get my arms hard <laughs> off, but I guess it's, uh, it's under life insurance. And and so when you say infinite banking, I mean, the the the, the dark uh, um, swirl in my head is like, well, I mean, once you're dead, it's then than life insurance. Uh, but as far as my perspective goes, it's infinite because it's something that I have um, on my plate every day until, well, it comes to fruition, which would be when the, the day that I pass. And it's the only policy that I can think of off the top of my head that would uh, ascribe itself to that kind of value because my car insurance would end by the if I if I stopped having a car, my my health insurance. Well, I mean that was a little bit trickier. But health insurance plans they tend to, from what I know, they tend to be more uh, protracted the further somebody is along in their life because the expenses increase and the vulnerabilities increase. Um, so there's a whole mess there. Home insurance obviously changes if I move to a different home, if I get an apartment. But there's only one thing that's consistent across all of this, and that's life. 
And so to then uh, be able to have that faith in myself and to invest in myself using life insurance, I have I would never in, my, in a million years would have thought this was this was possible. I mean, it's hard enough talking people into life insurance. Be like, well, I'm not going to know what's going to happen after I pass. So what do I care? Like, just getting people past the cynicism is one thing. Um, to be able to actually get uh, get a return on this while I'm also putting into it, and of course. By the way, for, for people wondering, there are numerous reasons why life insurance is uh, is a valuable uh, investment just because it gives your your family and your fr- uh, peace of mind for if I pass, there's going to be numerous expenses burned in on, you know, a, a burial, uh, the, the funeral services, uh, lawyers involved. Um, so that, that that's just me kind of like unpacking what you're saying right now. So let's just say, for instance, with the I, I'm uh, hypothetically, but not too hypothetically, I'm hovering around like a 60K figure right now. I'm not great at math, might be a little bit less than that. Where do I really start? I, 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 I call up my bank and say, I want to get life insurance. And then um, do I bring this up in the conversation with them? Is this an open conversation that I can have with them? Okay, awesome question. So okay. I worked hard on it. <laughs> so, um, in, in the United States, there's about 1,200 insurance companies that sell um, life insurance. But um, the concept we're talking about, the bank on yourself concept, also known as the infinite banking concept, is a special type of life insurance. And there has to be a checklist in mind um, in order for you to u- utilize it for self-banking purposes. Because that's the overall objective of it, is that for it to be self-banking. And it's, it's, it's for you to become your own source of financing and to replace the bankers and replace everybody, everybody else who you borrow from, so that way you can borrow borrow from yourself. That's the, usually the underlying objective behind it. So in order to do that, number one, it has to be from a mutually owned insurance company, not a stock owned insurance company. So there's two types of insurance companies. Some are mutually owned and some are stock owned. A mutually owned insurance company is owned by its customers, or sorry, owned by the policy owners. A stock owned insurance company is owned by shareholders. Now, at the end of the year, when they distribute dividends, the, in a stock-owned company, the dividends go to the shareholders. In a mutually-owned insurance company, the dividends go to the policy owners, the customers. So that's one way that you can recoup the cost of insurance uh, is via dividends back into your policy. So it has to be a mutually-owned insurance company. Number two, um, it has to be there has to be something called a paid-up additions rider. A rider. This is a called something called a paid-up additions rider. It's a part, uh, a piece you add to the policy that helps turbocharge the cash value over time for you to have a significant amount of growth in your policy, in the cash value of your policy while you're still alive. So that way you can use that cash while you're living over and over again. That's why it's actually called the infinite banking system is because you can constantly keep using the money over and over and over again for an infinite amount of times, um, even when you're still alive. So you want to make sure the paid up additions writer is in place. Number three, this is a a fancy financial term. It's called non-direct recognition. What this means is Let's say, for example, you have $100,000 in the cash value life insurance policy, specifically designed this way. And let's say you want to start a business and you need $50,000 to start the business. And you go to the policy, the insurance policy, and you borrow $50,000 against it. So you you take out a loan of $50,000, you're your own financing, you're you're self-financing. Now you're borrowing from yourself $50,000. You would leverage the cash value you have, not subtract from it. So you borrow $50,000 against the $100,000 you have. When, when this happens, the $100,000 that you have keeps growing and keeps earning interest and dividends as if you've never touched that money, even when you have an outstanding loan. This allows you to grow your money and still use it at the same time because when you're using your money, you're borrowing it from a different source. You're borrowing against your cash value. That's This is called non-direct recognition. And in a non-direct recognition company, the insurance company keeps paying you interest and dividends on your entire $100,000 in, in this example as if you never touched that money. 
so in other words, whether you take out a loan or not, the money grows the same way. And that's what you need in order to be able to grow wealth over time and still be able to use it. And the fourth is it has to be whole life insurance. It can't be any other type of life insurance. It has to be whole life. So when you take these four qualities and narrow it down from 1,200 insurance companies, it narrows it down to four insurance companies, which are also present in, in Canada. Uh, but these four insurance companies are the ones that we use. So in other words, if you were to just call your agent or a bank and say, hey, I want to do this whole life insurance thing and get, become my own source of financing, in most situations, probably 95% of situations, they wouldn't be able to help you out with this because number one, they wouldn't, they wouldn't understand it. Uh, a lot of advisors and insurance agents don't under, understand this concept. And number two, um, even if they did, in most situations, since it only narrows it down to four insurance companies, they might not have a contract with that insurance company or might not be allowed to have a contract. So if somebody works, for example, for ABC Bank and they want they you, they learn about this concept and they want to help the client, but the insurance company, for example, Lafayette Insurance Company, they can't do, they can't get a contract with Lafayette Insurance Company because they're full-time with ABC. There's a captive contract with them. So now they would have to steer the client away or tell the client it's not a good fit for them because it's not a good fit for the advisor for the advisor or the agent. So you want to make sure that you're dealing with an advisor that understands all these things that I just mentioned, the checklist, everything, uh, and, and, and specializes in the utilization of cash value life insurance for self-banking purposes. It's uh, it's surprising to hear that out of um, uh, 1,200 uh, insurance companies, it narrows down to four. And then within each of those companies, there's only so many people who are aware of this. And it strikes me as a sign that either like you are like, quantum levels ahead of the the curve on this one, which wouldn't surprise me one bit, or that the industry at large is not quite up to speed with the constant developments that uh, unfold on a day to day basis. Um, is, is that am I am I am I close? Is it that the insurance company or the insurance industry as a whole um, has not adopted this um, or is it's just because like they're just I don't know, they don't listen to enough podcasts. Like why why is it so difficult? This seems to me like this this seems like a huge market opportunity. Uh, I I I can't think of, a, of any human being on the planet who isn't going to die. So everybody at least has some uh, reason to uh, consider life insurance and to know that some of that value can actually be uh, extracted uh, prior to in order to um, boost my uh, my life in the here and now, which theoretically would mean I'm going to die a lot later because my quality of life has improved. I, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Excuse me, by the way, I, I come from like the, the arts background. So yeah, very <laughs> liberal minded. So as soon as I get to talk about death, that's a whole uh, gateway of humor that I don't usually get to do. Yeah. Um, so many, so, so what, what's, what's, what's going on with the in, in insurance industry? Why are they uh, kind of slow to the take on this one? That's an awesome question, Joseph. Okay. And, and I think that um, it's, there's a lot of differences in place. So, um, you know, the infinite banking system, the bank on yourself concept, it might not fit the needs and wants of other insurance companies. So for example, most insurance companies are stock owned. They have shareholders, they're on the stock market. They have their own um, problems and opportunities that they, they need to solve and, and acquire, uh, like more capital, um, you know, stuff from government, government regulations. It's not really worth it for them to change up their entire system in order to um, cope with the infinite banking system. It's not necessary for them to, for them to do so. They are doing they're doing billions of dollars already in, in different types of insurance. So it's not worth it for them. That's one angle. The second angle is the insurance and financial services world is heavily, um, from a marketing standpoint, heavily regulated. Meaning, when you go work for a company, 
it's like you're joining like a cult, like you're part, like you have to work with, that's called captive employment. You have to only represent, represent that company. You can't represent any other company. You can't do any business. You can't give any recommendations for anything else. So what that happens is, is what happens then is the advisors and agents that work for these companies start to have tunnel vision and that they only focus on products that they can sell because that's their job. That's what they're supposed to do. That's what the companies want them to do. And when clients come across different opportunities, like for example, infinite banking, they would have to figure out a way to move the client from that thinking process process into their own thinking process. They would say, they would say like, Mr. Client, the infinite banking system, I don't think is a good fit for you. You're better off putting the money in the stock market or putting the money in, in this mutual fund. So this way they can help them with it. Or they would just have to flat out turn them down and say, I can't help you with this. And the client would then go find somebody else that could. But of course, from a, from a sales standpoint too, and a marketing standpoint is that you would do whatever it takes to keep the client in your portfolio and you're in, cause it costs so much money to acquire new clients. It's a, it's a big deal. The marketing behind financial services is such a big deal. So you want to make what you want to do whatever it takes to keep that client. That's a huge problem in the actual industry is that it's, it revolves heavily around what the advisors and agents can sell and produce. Um, and that leaves retirees and people in the hands of marketing guidelines, but should never, those two things should never be on the same table or, the, or in the same conversation. Uh, but unfortunately, that's one huge problem. Those are some of the problems in the industry that, that insurance companies and financial institutions have. So let's look at the, 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 the lighter side of this as well. So of the, of the companies that are uh, either uh, receptive to this. Okay, actually, before I do that, I wanted to stop up briefly on the stock owned versus mutually owned because mutually owned is the only viable option of the two um, for what we're talking about um, for the, the infinite banking, uh, what I would say, strategy or system or however you prefer to characterize it. Um, l- let's just pretend I wasn't uh, thinking about that for a second. Why would I be incentivized to go for a stock owned a business rather than a mutually owned? Is it because I'm profit chasing and if they're profit chasing, then that's more like we're on the same wavelength. So just to be clear, the question is, if you know that mutually owned is better than stock owned, why would you go to stock owned instead? It's almost like just taking out of the infinite banking conversation uh-huh. for a second. Like what is the overall appeal of a stock owned um, insurance company? So a lot of, first of all, a lot of people don't know the differences and they, not the differences necessarily between the two, but which companies are the differences, which companies are stock owned and which companies are mutually owned. That's one part. And the second part to it is that it might, it might be irrelevant. Like for example, um, a large company name that you see on TV or you hear on the radio, that's probably going to be a stock owned insurance company. And if you want just a regular insurance policy through them, just something to cover your debt that something happens, it doesn't make a really, it doesn't really make a difference at that point. It's just a commodity and you are looking for the best rates, the cheapest rate, and then you're going to pick that company. In most situations, those companies online are on the heavily marketed and advertised are stock, are stock owned companies because they have the capital backing to do so. So it, it's, it's all about a function and an objective. What is it that you want to accomplish and how and who can help you get there? Um, a lot of people a lot of people buy stock-owned companies or buy products from stock-owned companies because they're well-known. They've been around for like 100 years. They have solid track records. They have billions of dollars in reserves. So it makes sense to do that. But when it comes, again, back to the whole function objective situation, it comes down to what do you want to accomplish? And when you want to accomplish self-banking, utilizing cash value, whole life insurance, then that could, that specific function or that specific objective can only be done 
with a mutually owned uh, whole life insurance policy. Yeah, you reminded me. Uh, I don't think it's a it's a one to one parallel, but it does remind me about the psychology between between people who say uh, build their own computers versus people who um, invest in Apple products. I've invested in Apple products in the past. I'm not I'm not innocent on this front, so I'm not trying to like uh, point fingers or anything. But um, and, you know, Apple products they tend to be a, um, a, a larger upfront fee, and it but it does take. It's like it does commodify um, um, machines and devices, so that people just focus more on what they're doing and uh, move a lot of that, I guess, more into the. They're not thinking about it. They're just they just moved on from it. They're just focusing on the usage of the device. Um, whereas I find with the PC market, um, and the parallel here is PC market um, is the parallel to the mutually owned. Is that people tend to build their own computers because they know that they don't get the the value buying a PC right out of the box. Um, so they put their own parts together and it does, it, it's a more of an upfront labor, but the understanding and uh, the long-term value of that computer does also reflect how long they get to use it and how they're able to really maximize the value out of it. So that's just like one parallel in my head that helped me, uh, helps me understand it. The difference between commodification versus, I frankly, I don't know what's the, what would be the opposite term of it. Yeah. Yeah. A value um, kind of also too, like if you have a passion for building computers that Apple wouldn't be able to replace that your passion for that if you want to do PC and build a PC. So that's a good that's a good parallel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then and then to 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 expand on that because then we 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 consider the difference between the entrepreneurial spirit versus what might be one who's a little bit more of a of a systemic creature. And I never want to castigate them because um, I mean family, friends, loved ones they they they're part of a systemic structure and. And I'm trying to like make sure I don't be like, well, some people are trapped in the matrix, some people are out of it. It's a very difficult thing to to do, um, but it's it's an effort that I take because I respect why some people need to be in a more systemic structure. They have their dependencies. Um, they're they're maybe they want to take risks, but they realize that they're awful at it, and they can only take so many risks. Whatever the case is, it's 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 their it's their life. By going with the infinite banking strategy, it seems to appeal greatly to the entrepreneurship. For the same reason building your own computer is appealing is because people want to see this for themselves, do this for themselves, and be more in control of their own value. Whether it's a reluctance to trust a system or it's I just trust myself more than I trust another structure because I'm me and I like me versus I'm I would just be a number or a figure uh, to them. So there's there's a very broad uh, approach here about whether or not I want to be what what I want to commodify and what I don't. The other question that I had uh, stopped myself was, so we compared why some why the companies, the ones that aren't participating, the reasons why, but the, the ones who are participating, again, this is the part that I just want to be a little more uh, clear on is, it seems like they're, they're semi-aware. You have some employees who know what's going on and can be talked to about it, some don't. So they're a little bit more uh, up to the take now. Have you had any conversations with these insurance companies? Have you found a way to educate them on the the importance of, uh, of what's going on here? That's a good question. And the answer is no, because um, I'm actually like, my focus is educating clients and prospects and podcast hosts and podcast guests on this concept. You know, um, the insurance companies, again, they're, they're going to, so somebody who runs an insurance company is probably going to know that, you know, the ins and outs of this concept. They're going to know exactly how it works because the utilization of this concept, the way this works, how you are leveraging your own money, like, you're leveraging, you're building up an asset, borrowing against it, buying other assets, leveraging those, doing so over and over again is exactly what banks do, insurance companies, hedge funds, private equity firms. This is exactly what they do. They build wealth and borrow against it and then keep using that over and over again. 
Um, so the insurance companies are going to know exactly, like the executives and owners of the insurance company are going to know exactly how this concept works because they do that for their own company on a daily basis. They're leveraging other assets and and moving money and and keeping a, a split in between there, a difference in between there, um, over and over again. So they know these concepts. They they understand the financial uh, literacy behind it. Now, as far as uh, the focus of what I do, it's mostly concern around um, educating people because. That's the most important part. I, if I went to every insurance company and somehow some way convinced them, okay, let's do this concept instead. And let's say they said, okay, let's do it. It doesn't mean that clients are automatically going to jump on board. We still have to go to the clients now and, and, and convince them um, or not sorry, convince them, but educate them and then have them make the decision because this is what we do with clients. We show them the strategy. We, we provide them the content, the podcast, the YouTube videos, the free eBooks, all of the content they need. And then they say, all right, let's, I'm interested. Let's talk. And then we do a financial analysis. We go through all their entire financial situation. We get to understand where they're at financially, where they want to go, what their goals are, their objectives. And then we help them build out a strategy utilizing the infinite banking concept to help them uh, reach their goals. And then from there, we show them that if you were to put it in the stock market, this is what would happen. If you were to put it in a mutual fund, this is what would happen. If you were to put it in a brokerage account, this would happen. And then the client ends up saying, okay, I want to do this concept. I They choose what they want to do. And that's what we, that's how we want to educate our clients. We never want to just push something and say, this is the best situation. Trust us. Um, I believe that nobody should do business in that way, where it's just, you're taking somebody's word for it, especially when it's dealing with your money, your retirement, your family's wealth, you need to be able to identify the best option and then choose the best one, or even be able to connect different options together. So it's sometimes in a lot of situations in financial planning, it's not option A or option B. It's well, what if we do option A now, and then next year include some of option B? That's that's a more reasonable solution um, instead of one over the other. So we help them identify these things and be able for them to make these decisions on their own. And and I think the people that you that you're largely helping again, they have that underlying uh, drive to take things into their own hands. And so by the time that they sit down and they're talking with the agent. I can understand wanting to have that confidence and the knowledge of I know what it is I'm looking for I know what I'm asking for um, and I'm just working with with rather than again because if I'm trusting the agent to have all the knowledge that just speaks to the larger issue of why well, don't I just trust a, a, a stock owned life insurance company it's just why don't I just trust a bank so it, it it's very uh, um, keen to see this pattern keep emerging of what is the individual going to do to take matters into their own hands and what trust am I going to have in myself as an individual now. For my for my for my audience and really frankly for myself too is I would like to have some uh, idea of like uh, preparation um, figures as well as at what point in my uh, career growth it might be a good time to actually start putting money into this if not today so let's let, let's just use a our, this is drop shipping company uh, company well technically sort of yeah but uh, this is drop shipping country um, so we do have um, you know the 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 somewhat agreed upon starting budget for somebody doing their own e-commerce business is around is around a thousand dollars and while not everybody makes this next point it's it's i would say it's fairly uh, understood why it's worth making which is you should probably have some income so that you can invest that income into it um now, and I, we have talked to people who just you know dropped everything put everything that they got into it but they also had the money there to do it so one way or another you need money to to make money how much could I be looking at uh, on a monthly basis to start paying into the the policy? 
even just to, just to get started? It's, that's an awesome question. And it, it all depends. So it depends. It's not a product that just has like a fixed cost to it where everybody buys the same thing. It's something that's based off of um, your ability to save. Because one basic rule about the infinite banking concept is for the, for, for the uh, every dollar that you save into it, and just kind of put it out there, it's a savings vehicle, not an investment. So for how much you can save into the system, will reflect on how much you have in the later years. And of course, the more that you're able to save in your earlier years, the more tax-favored wealth you have and, and guaranteed growth you have and protected wealth you have in the later years. Um, maybe we could even see a ratio of, for every dollar put in, uh, three times that amount in cash value um, by the time you retire in tax-free retirement. So if you're allocating $1,000 a month for 20 years, you can you could see um, withdrawals or, or being able to take out $3,000 a month in, 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 in retirement as like a pension almost or like a pension-like account where you're taking money out of it. So it all comes down to what the client needs and wants and what they're expecting or projecting for retirement. Also, it never just ends with one policy. Um, most of our clients have numerous policies. Um, they get they take out new policies almost every year or almost every other year. So that way they have multiple streams of income in retirement, plus multiple sources of liquidity so they can go to different policies to borrow from them. To answer more basic, the minimum that you could do a policy that, I, that we've seen and worked on is around $300 per month. Uh, there really is no maximum. It's pretty much based off of 25% of your annual income. So if you make $100,000 a year, the most you'd be able to put into the policy is $25,000 at that given time. As you start getting pay raises and start making more money, you can start allocating more money into life insurance policies, which is what a lot of people do is they kind of keep um, cycling through policies until they max them out. This way, they have that infinite growth of cash value plus the infinite liquidity they can keep accessing the policies over and over again. Again, while they're alive, they can borrow for business, borrow for dropshipping, borrow for leads, borrow for um, Google ads, for Facebook ads. They just keep using the money over and over again out of their policies without ever interrupting the growth of it. Like for example, one of my clients, he started with one policy and he was gonna have like, I think um, $300,000 in retirement by the time he retires. Um, and then he was like, wait a minute, what if I do 10 policies just like this over the next 10 years? So one new policy every single year as he's aging and making more money, can I, yes, could I use the cash value from those policies to pay the premiums for the other policies? I'm like, absolutely. And then he's like, will that interrupt the death benefit? I'm like, no, it won't interrupt the death benefit. It won't interrupt the cash value growth. You can have multiple policies over and over again. And then he's like, so I'll have about $3 million by the time I retire tax-free. I'm like, exactly. Yes, you will. You know, based on these illustrations and based on the portfolio we're setting up, yeah, you have $3 million in tax-free retirement. So it's a lot of different ways to access the system, a lot of different ways to uh, fund the policies. But that's pretty much in, in basic. Anybody can start the policy. You could do $300 a month. You could do, you know, $5,000 a month. It, it all depends on the financial analysis that we help clients with. Well, I, I think that uh, at this point, we, we got a really clear grasp on the subject. And I have to say, personally, this is uh, fascinating. Uh, it continues to um, amaze me that every time I get to talk to somebody, there is some new concept or some new um, really uh, perspective or, or worldview to not only understand a different way to, to live, but to, but, to, but to flourish. So I would definitely recommend my, our, my audience to start digging into this more, but we don't want to make any like uh, 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 snap decisions. But um, are there... And any 
I'm sorry, this is a pretty elementary question, but are there any risks associated with this? Like, is there, is there such a thing as like l- maybe loading myself a little bit too much money to the point where I'm not able to then um, uh, repopulate the money that I had uh, pulled out? I mean, I get, some of the risk, I suppose, is like if I just spend the money poorly, right? So I can, I can screw myself over in that way. But I just want a little bit more clarity on the relationship between the money that I'm pulling out and the money that's staying in there and the safety of which that the money that's staying within the the policy or how secure that money is uh, still is in the policy. Yeah. So as there, as far as market risk, there is no market risk with this because it's a savings vehicle. It's backed by an insurance company that's been in business for over a hundred years. So as far as um, market risk, there is no market. Like for example, if you have, you know, cash value in the policy and then something happens in the stock market uh, with the ways that we, the ways that we um, position these policies, the cash value won't be affected by market conditions. Um, Now, if you, you, to your question, if you borrowed too much money um, and you are able to pay back, so a couple of things with this. So when you borrow, you can only borrow up to 90% of the cash value. So if you have $100,000 in cash value, you can borrow any amount up to $90,000. And then when you do so, your money keeps growing. So yes, you have to pay back the loan. You want to pay it back within reasonable time. So this way you can access it again and borrow it all over again and then constantly keep doing that. Um, Now, let's just say, for example, you took out a loan and then you never paid back the policy. Well, what would happen is, is that one of two things will happen. Uh, One thing that could happen is that the the loan balance can keep growing. And if the loan balance reaches the amount of cash value that you have in the policy, in other words, the interest on the loan kept growing, then the policy could lapse. I kind of find that difficult because as the loan balance is increasing in, in how much you owe, the amount of money you have in the policy is also increasing at the same time. So I don't know how it would happen, but this is something that's disclosed that you want to pay back the loan within reasonable time because the policy can lapse if you completely ignore the loan. Uh, another scenario that could happen, which is the more likely one, is that if you had an outstanding loan and then in the future you pass away, let's say, for example, you have $100,000 in cash value, you have a million dollars in death benefit, you borrow $50,000, you wait a, re- a really long time to pay it back, you end up not paying it back, but you pass away, your beneficiaries would get $1 million minus the outstanding loan balance, let's say $50,000, they would get $950,000. That's the more reasonable or more accurate one. The first one is a little bit subjective. It depends on the insurance company, depends on the dividends, the interest that's paid out, other factors. But the second one is more likely to happen. I I guess it's possible that there would be a a third outcome, which is if I don't uh, pay back my own loans, I might send somebody to my own house to break my own legs. Yeah, since you're your own banker, you could do something. You could do stuff like that. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it out of the question. I've been. I've been my own boss before, and I've had some internal fights. So, so again, I'm. I'm just going to start so, uh, soaking this in and let and let this uh, let this sink in because I think this is um, an interesting uh, concept for sure. Um, when you when you say that at the lowest end, three hundred dollars is a pretty reasonable amount of money to uh, to to put away. I, you know, I don't need to give away all my financials, but I give. I I, I usually deposit about about that amount of money right now uh, well to my bank frankly by the way if you're a current user of debutify or haven't tried us out yet debutify version 3 has been released and now is a good time to upgrade or get started as any a streamlined user interface along with an ever-increasing array of conversion boosting add-ons is waiting for you so download today for free and start your journey who knows maybe i'll be interviewing you before too long 
with the time that I have left, there is some other, there is something else that stuck out that I thought might be fun to uh, unravel here because you you said this term before and I hadn't heard anybody use this term before, which is captive employment. Now my my spider sense says some of that might have had to do with personal experience, and I and I guess I just want to hear about like you know where when did this concept come to you and me when did you see it um, realized or like when did it you see like real world examples of it um, uh, manifesting because there's we can be introduced to the concept and it might be something that explains something that we've experienced in the past or maybe you saw the concept and then something happened in the future to tie it together so I, i'd like to hear your your backstory on on your use of this term yeah and this is an official term it's i just kind of like made it up um it, it has um it's based off of like for example a lot of financial advisors and insurance agents are either independent or captive if they're independent they could represent different insurance companies and financial institutions. Like they can represent like 50 or 60 insurance companies or financial institutions. They can also do different things. Like for example, an independent advisor can also partner with a mortgage lender or a real estate agent, and they can have a shared office and, and then do joint work together where um, you refer a client to them. They could do a refinance and then also do the funding of a whole life policy. They can, you could do stuff like that when you're independent, when you're captive um, it's, it's not necessarily, it's, it could be employment where you're, you work for a company, you're a W-2 employee, you go to, for example, ABC insurance company, you have to be there, set hours, like other W-2 jobs, you can only sell ABC insurance company and only represent them. You would wear their logo, have their business cards, their website, everything would revolve around ABC. That's the only products you would represent. And then there's even self-employment where you're captive still, where you can open up your own business. This is kind of like a franchising model where you're self-employed, you're your own business owner, but you have to follow the rules of the company you're affiliated with. You have to only wear, you know, have their polos or shirts, their pens their business cards their low. Everything has to be with that company. You can only do business with that company. You can't do any outside work unless they approve it. So like, let's say for example, you did find an insurance, uh, a real estate broker or a mortgage broker. They wanted to send you business and you could do some sort of joint work together. The, the company you're part of might has to approve that before you could do that. And if you don't, you can lose your contract. You get terminated actually if you don't do that. So uh, long story short, there's two sides. So there's independent and captive. I was a captive employee. I used to work for Allstate Insurance um, and I worked for a couple other companies as a captive employee and then became an independent business owner. So independent in the sense of I could represent, I actually represent right now like 20 insurance companies. I have current contracts with them on the Medicare side and on the financial planning side. And I could also, and I'm self-employed too, and I could also, like I have some joint joint agreements right now with like real estate investors, so I could do these different things. So that's kind of like the, the history behind it. Um, I prefer to be, a lot of people would argue and say, well, captive could be better because you have a set structure, You everything is given to you, the website is given to you, the logo is given to you. Um, some of the, sometimes clients are given to you, everything is handed to you. All you have to do is just show up to work and just like handle everything. Um, but I like the rush of being independent because independent, everything is completely on your own from the CRM that you use, the client relation manager system that you use, the logo that you have, the name of the company, the website you have, every single thing is on you, which obviously makes it 10 times harder, but also it's far more flexible and a lot more, and more importantly than all of this, more important than personal preferences, it's far greater for the client because if a client comes to me and says, Hey, I, I got a brochure from this insurance company there. It looks really good. I could actually look into it for them as an independent agent. And let's just say it is a really good deal. Like they have a really good product. For example, I can reach out to the insurance company, get a contract with them and close that deal for the client. In other words, I'm working for the client. I can go out and do these different strategies for clients 
without any restrictions at all. Uh, on the captive side, you can't do that. You would have to, you know, get back to, you'd have to tell the client that's not possible or tell them our, our product is much better than that product. Then you have to do whatever it takes to keep the client in the pipeline. Right. And it can be difficult because if, um, if I'm sitting across, let's just say I'm the agent, I'm, ca- I'm in, uh, under captive uh, employment and I'm speaking to somebody and uh, I have to weigh um, numerous pressures. There's a pressure of, of servicing my, my company because they are uh, paying me and they're giving me uh, um, sustainability. But I, I'm also trying to look out for the well-being of the person sitting across from me because that's the person that I'm connected with in that moment. There are a lot of approaches to it. One approach would be, you know, if I'm going to work for, for, for this company, I have to really believe in what it is that they're selling, which does tend to improve productivity, um, I, I might add. And, 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 and I guess it's just it stuck out to me because um, in, in a lot of what we talked about here, we can we can go pretty uh, broad and take a holistic view of it is that, you know, that it's, it's, it's another way of looking at what I was referring to earlier about systemic structure or being part of a, uh, a yeah, a part of an employment system where you, know, you have your set hours. And full disclosure, that's the position that I'm in now, right? I still have my freelancing. I still I've experienced uh, independence. And my my personal perspective is that a I think entrepreneurship is um uh, is this a- energy or is this force that really calls people to join them. Um, people are compelled to become entrepreneurs for different reasons. Um, and so I think for them to be part of a uh, of a systemized uh, work environment. It's all for the learning. Um, it's 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 much better to know how how all these things work, so that way when I jump into entrepreneurship, I'm not uh, inundated with trying to understand what I'm doing, as well as trying to uh, make the business um, uh, functional, if not profitable. And I was listening to um, one another one of your podcasts, and you know, you, by the way, you have this really cool playlist where you like you show up like all of your different appearances. I've had my my personal YouTube channel for like ten years, and I thought, why didn't I do that sooner? Anyways, and and one of them that you talked about is like you know you've had experiences where you're being paid. And, the, and while you're being paid, you were learning so much that it, looking back on it, you would have paid money to, to learn what you learned at that point. So for I think for, for one, one way to characterize this for entrepreneurs is um, let's just say that they're in a captive employment situation. Uh, they're part of a, a structure for the time being. What would be the ideal uh, system for them to be a part of before they can break free and join entrepreneur the entrepreneur world? Yeah, and just so I understand the question correctly, it's which route would be better for them to start off in? Okay, a little more specific. If somebody starts off in, in a captive employment scenario, what's the best way to get the most value out of it? Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So if you're captive, the best thing to do is go all in with those few products that the insurance company or the financial institution has. So that's also a good thing too. That's a, that's a good point is that sometimes it's better if you have, let's say, for example, you, you work with one company and then you only have like two products. That's it. Just one company and two products. That can also be a really good thing too, because what if you have thousands of customers coming in, you could just screen them or have a screener. And then if, if they want that product or are, are looking for that, you help them. If not, you just chop them off and keep going. And that could be a good thing too, business and in marketing, because you're you're getting super good at a very finite thing to do. Um, it's very predictable. Um, you could see your, your wealth increase that way. That's actually a very smart thing to do in business. It's just kind of narrowed something down and, and and get really good at it. And then if you wanted to kind of, of course, do more things, then the the independent route would be better. Like it would be better then because here's the thing. Let's say for example, somebody in California wants to do. Um, an investment pro- project with me, and then somebody in New York wants to do a whole, this whole life product 
when somebody in Florida wants to invest in real estate, I could connect everybody together on Zoom and, and figure this whole thing out as an independent broker, an independent advisor. Captive, you can't do things like that unless you, you have outside approval. So um, if you want to just fo laser focus on just a few products, Captive would be perfect for that, including if you had to turn away clients, it'd be perfect for that. Um, whereas independent, independent, I think is more exploratory. It's more visionary. It's like, if you wanted to do uh, more things, it's, it's, it's far more difficult, but that's kind of like the, the biggest differences between being independent and captive. Great way to, to summarize it. So I know we gotta, we gotta get you on out of here. Um, there was one other thing that I was uh, intrigued about, uh, looking into some of your background. Uh, I'd love to ask you a quick question about it. If it's all right, if not, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll exit. Cause I noticed you were, you were a civil rights intern, um, uh, earlier on in your career. And I don't get to really talk about that very much at all. And not just on the show, but just really all together. And, and I would, and I would like to know if, um, you can tell us about any like standout experiences or lessons that uh, stuck out to you from, uh, from your time in that position. Yeah, so that was um, I was I was gonna go to law school. I was a junior in, or senior in college, can't remember, and I was gonna go to law school. So I wanted to get like an internship and and in, in for a law firm or a civil rights organization, and then go to law school. Um, and then I ended up didn't go to law school. I ended up getting my MBA instead. Um, but during that time, I I it was really interesting because it was um, like a civil rights organization that helped people who were like discriminated against. Like if somebody worked at a company or like. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, mostly it was mostly employment related discrimination. Um, I would be the first person, like the kind of the screener. Like I would talk to them and then take notes, and then we'd have like a daily meeting with the lawyer, and I would tell the lawyer, like, yeah, this person called. They're having this issue, and the lawyer would be like, okay, call them back and ask them these two questions. And if the answer is no to them, then skip it. If the answer is yes, then forward it over to me, and then I'll give them a call. So I was like a screener for it, and it was a lot of good experience because it was like you know we see. Um, obviously not that much legal experience, but the basics of it, of how the funnel comes in, how people reach out for help. Um, one thing I learned is that humans are very problematic. A lot of problems happen, uh, happen. and it's, whether it's workplace, whether it's discrimination, whether it's racism, whatever the situation is, it happens. Um, you obviously can't take it personally. And the, I, this kind of goes to a, a little off topic, but I'm really proud to live in a country where we have these organizations, where we have people who will listen um, and stop people from, from being racist, from, be, from discriminating against other people. Um, that's something I'm very proud of. It's something that I kind of want to go back to um, later in my career. I want to start a not-for-profit organization where I help people in poverty with free financial counseling, free financial uh, literacy um, to kind of help people who don't have the same they have the same rights, of course, but not the same privileges or the same um, standards as other people. Um, so this is something I take very personally. This is why I wanted to be a lawyer, but ended up didn't. I ended up getting an MBA. Uh, who knows? I might go back to law school. I don't know. Um, but that's that was a one one chapter in my life. Well, I think between you know your your work in the uh, in the in the Medicare field and, and in civil rights and what you're doing now is I, I certainly see a lot of uh, light here, which is you know you really want to help people in in different capacities because people need help in the workplace. They need help with their own health. They need help with their own freedom. And so, um, so, so that's just like a lot that I had to say that I really admire about, about, uh, who you are and what you're doing. So, you know, it's, it's, it's to summarize and to kind of like, uh, uh, cap off this episode, um, really was great, to, great 
to meet you and, and to talk to you uh, at, at length here. And just to the, the takeaway that I'm having is is substantial and is and, and is really sinking in. So I just, yeah, I just if if I can more eloquently express my gratitude, I would, but that that'll have to do. I'm afraid. Yeah, you too, Joseph. Thank you so much for having me on. Terrific. So the last thing to do before we get you on out of here is to usually if you have any like parting words, if there's like a proverb, you like something like that, uh, you're free to express it, and then let the audience know um, in what way they can perhaps reach out to you or have a look at some of your content. Yeah, so a lot of the material we talked about earlier on, on the financial side, um, it's, it, it involves thinking like a bank. It's doing something that banks do. And this is actually ironically how why we made our, our podcast. Our podcast is called Thinking Like a Bank. So check that out. And I'm a big fan of books. And I'd like to give away a free copy of a book called Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash. It's a, it's a book that explains the infinite banking system in detail. And I'll give it away to you for free. If you reach out to us uh, via uh, online, uh, our website, finassetsprotection.com, F-I-N, assetsprotection.com. Uh, there'll be a link for the free book. You can download it um, and then also reach out to us if you have any questions. Excellent. And with that, to our audience, uh, I certainly hope that you all uh, had a great to take away today too. So there's certainly a lot to think about and a lot to talk about. So all the best to you and all the best once more to uh, our guest, uh, Sarah Ibrahim. And with that, take care. We'll check in soon. Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you. So whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at Debutify.com. Or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to Debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next. <laughs>